Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 154, <clears throat> our last episode was with Hugh Evans, uh, Hugh runs the permaculture farm, what's it called, Three Pools Permaculture Farm in Monmouthshire near Aber- no, Abergavenny in Mon- Monmouthshire in Wales, um, they started six years ago and it is mental what they've done, genuinely, they basically looked at a farming system, three 25 year old guys from London that became four a couple months later thinking we can farm. But without that sort of, what would you say? There's quite often delusions of grandeur, shall we say, with that sort of thing. Seems like an easy thing to just go and be able to produce, produce food. They didn't have that. They went in pretty open-minded. And now six years on, they have a farm system that's supported by an event side of the business. Now, when you hear that, you think weddings, you think whatever. They do weddings, but they also have weekly raves with one to 500 people. <laughs> 100 to 500 people every weekend on the farm to support their farm business and it's so interesting i knew a bit about them brought them on it was great um so yeah a really good episode there to check back on number 153 uh, number 155 which is the next one coming up after today is with harry winslet harry has won winslet yes say that right <clears throat> harry's one of the 2023 enough nope 2024, yeah, 2023 Nuffield Scholars, the, the group that I am in, um, which is uh, quite exciting. As you know, I'm going to try and go through all of us, um, which I quite look forward to. And I think I'm going to do an episode about me, which makes me cringe. <laughs> quite a few of you have asked me to do it, so I will try and do that. Uh, and today is very much on the same theme. Today's episode is with, um, well, I'm not going to say, I'm going to let introduce herself in a wee minute, but just before I do that, I thought I'd give you a wee update about life for myself. Um, normally try and sort of say what's been happening. I mentioned it right at the end of the last episode, so I forgot to say it at the start. But I'm currently about 36 hours home from America. Um. Had a really good time out there. Went to a football game, you know, football, you know, hand egg. It's not real football, um, but I very much enjoyed it. I love soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, but really enjoyed the atmosphere of this game. It took about four and a half hours to watch 60 minutes, but it was really entertaining. We then went to the FFA convention where we promoted SRUC on that sort of international across the pond scale, which was really good. Um, a really positive time in America. And I think, I think with my Nuffield, I will be going back. It wasn't part of the original plan, but it opened my eyes to see what they have there and I think I think we might have to be going so we'll see we'll see um but today as I said is continuing on that Nuffield story um today we have Lucy George Lucy would you like to say hello hello good to meet how you. are you yeah thank you not thank you bad, thank looking you. forward to meeting you in person as well um, yeah not long now <laughs> no no it's starting to get real just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as A-Plan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. (laughs) We were just saying off camera that it almost doesn't feel real yet, which is crazy because I feel like we've all been in like a million articles. I feel like every second time I go into LinkedIn, it's my or one of the other people's face. Like it's just consistent at this point. Um, I think once once um, we do meet and we actually get the award it'll actually become a thing at that stage which at the point of 
recording is next week, but the point of release will have happened. So unless something catastrophic has happened, we'll both be official Nuffield scholars by this stage. Pretty, pretty negative way to put that in. We'll be Nuffield scholars by this stage. Um, for, for the listeners, Lucy, could you just give a wee bit of background for yourself, not even to do with Nuffield, just in general, a wee bit of background as to who Lucy is? Um, yeah, well, I've uh, got a farm just outside Cardiff, um, which I've run um, solo for pretty much about 22 years now. Um, got about It's quite a small farm, just 35 acres, uh, pretty much just horticulture based. And um, yeah, we've sort of done quite a few different things over the years, I guess. Uh, not raves, that's quite a good idea, actually. I'm thinking about that one now. And uh, But uh, yeah, maybe that's something to, to blend in in, in future years. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to seeing the, the second <laughs> South Wales diversified raving farm. Um, this is it, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't know how much space there is in that market in that area, but maybe there's <laughs> more. Um, yeah, it's uh, it certainly is out there. Uh, so, did you start farming just straight straight out of school? Was there anything after school? What what happened then? Uh, yeah, I'd um, done a degree at um, so yeah, I left uni, uh, got a fairly decent job. And then uh, my mum and dad had actually started the farm back in the 80s. So I'd kind of grown up with it. And um, and then, yeah, they just got in, in touch one day and said that they'd, they decided to sell up and uh, sort of give up altogether. They'd actually retired a few years previous, but they'd got someone managing it and it, it just wasn't really working out for them. So, um, yeah, they just decided to move on. And uh, for some unknown reason, I'm still trying to figure out whether it's a good idea or not. I, I moved back and, and took over. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's been, been a journey since then. If it's taken you 22 years, do you think you'll ever work it out? <laughs> probably not. That's that's slowly dawning on me now. And yeah, it's uh, that's probably how long it will take for the, the whole Nuffield scholarship idea to sink in as well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be sitting as like pensioners thinking, oh, well, that's right. We are Nuffield scholars. <laughs> <laughs> Did that really happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the degree and what was the job? It's always quite interesting to hear that. And uh, it was actually a business management um, with an agri-food specialism. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was at the uh, Royal Agricultural University, or what was then college. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, yeah, job-wise, it was pretty much in agricultural marketing. Uh, so just about some machinery, uh, worldwide sales, basically. Um, yeah. Excellent. That's a big one. Who was that for? <laughs> I'll have to ask. Is that allowed? Uh, I don't know. It, yeah, it was with the uh, Alvin Blanche. Um, and yeah, I sort of went on from there. Uh, worked with another company as well. Um, again, just just on sales. Um, sort of like, within agriculture. Um, but yeah, it was just. I think I was just tempted to. I think having had even just a, a couple of years in industry, uh, really just have the opportunity to do something on my own feet and. Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm that employable, to be fair. So <laughs> it seemed to make sense to go out on my own. As as an employee, I feel terrible for my managers. I must be a nightmare. I know I must be. Like, it, it can't be fun. Um, so John and Jan, I apologise. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's <laughs> It's a it's a really interesting, especially doing this podcast, to see folks sort of journey. 
an interesting journey from that sort of what would you call it <clears throat> like the security if you will of a salary and health benefits and all that stuff to then jump into to not having those things so could you tell us about the process in that um yeah I think that's probably what I'm still questioning 22 years later <laughs> <laughs> I'm like where, where's my weekends off gone um yeah it's it's a big big change it really is and I think probably the biggest issue is is the insecurity um within farming it's you know super seasonal you've got seasonal variability and insecurity and you've just got the longer term insecurity um especially with a smaller farm I think it is you know it really does have limitations but also potential for you know taking it in different directions uh but it's yeah I wouldn't say it's been easy <laughs> it's certainly been hard I've aged rapidly as well <laughs> well it doesn't seem that way at all it doesn't seem that way at all <laughs> uh it's it's what size did you say again acreage wise uh 35 yeah i thought you said that when you hear that sort of number on an agricultural scale it's almost impossible to make that a business now horticulturally you've clearly that's working fine um you you've sort of sprung into limelight in the last few weeks because of tea is it only tea you're operating what is it all tea is there some other things what are you growing i would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors howden rural the new name for a plan rural howden rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates this could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture be sure to check out Howden Rural today. Uh, well, originally mm. it was just soft fruit um, with some stone fruit, mainly cherries. And we actually made ice cream on the farm as well. And right. uh, But it's, yeah, pretty much eight years ago now, I, I diversified into growing tea. Um, really, like I just sort of alluded to, trying to reduce the seasonality and just to extend the income on a sort of more sort of year-round basis, I guess. Um, so now we're pretty much it's I've actually retired from ice cream production as of a couple of months back so right. it's now solely tea production uh, we still grow some fruit alongside the tea very much in a sort of agroforestry system uh, mm. to provide a microclimate um, and we also make kombucha on the farm as well so uh, which yeah kind of a further diversification I guess but it, it fits in well with the tea production so so what's the difference in operating a, bis a business based on cherries and a business on uh, tea? Um, probably faster ageing, I should think. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought tea was actually going to be a little bit easier. But um, it's um, I think in some ways I've had many years of growing fruit. I've grown up with it. I've had, you know, a lot of years experience and um, it's fairly prescriptive and you sort of, you follow the same sort of patterns, I guess, year in, year out. There's general growing principles that you, you adhere to and you end up with strawberries or cherries at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, with tea, I think my enthusiasm for it and the sort of the passion I've, I've got for it has really come about because it's 
still pretty new industry in the UK and in, in Europe as a whole. Um, and the way that we're growing or we need to grow in this sort of climate isn't like doesn't follow traditional methods, basically. So it's very much more experimental. Um, so you, it's really, I guess you've got a lot more um, variability in how you can approach it. You can try different techniques. And uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot more that you can you can learn and sort of deep dive into, which yeah, that that's what really it sort of excites me, I guess. So I guess the the obvious question is, what techniques? Because put it this way. Put it this. I don't know how you grow tea, <laughs> and, and it's it's there's actually there's, there's quite a, it's a sweet story if nothing else. Um, my first name is actually Colin, right? I'm not a fraud. It's just I go by my middle name, like I don't hide it. Uh, but when I was in Tanzania, like I said off camera, there was two other people called Colin, one from Jamaica and one from Taiwan, and Colin from Taiwan uh, used to work in a tea plantation, and he worked as a picker for a while and he uh, he came up to me at the end and he said Wallace you're such a great person you make everyone happy you're great on the dad's floor and you just make everyone want to get to know each other and give me this gift of some Taiwanese tea that he had picked and it was a sweet I think it's the sweetest gift I've ever been given to be honest um but on the plane back I was like don't know how you got here. <laughs> Don't know what this product is. So tell us, and I'm sure there's quite a lot of listeners on on the same boat, Lucy, or I'm just an idiot. Uh, give us a wee bit about that. Like, what actually is involved in that process? Oh well, we we actually when we started growing tea, there's there's two main routes you can take. You can either use uh, clonal plants, uh, which are taken from cuttings, quite hard to get hold of up to now in the UK, quite expensive because you're buying sort of existing plant material. And you've got quite a high risk growing in this climate that you you bring a clone type in that doesn't like those specific conditions that you've got in your area. Uh, so I decided to grow from seed, uh, which gives you a massive genetic diversity. So every single plant comes up differently there's there's no genetic similarities within sort of tea seeds and um i bought seeds in from all over the world so a lot from areas that have really marginal quite extreme climatic conditions so that yeah hopefully it, it kind of compensated for for what we have here in wales and the idea really that it's sort of grown on numbers so you know we we have literally planted tens and tens of thousands of seeds and the idea being that some germinate well they actually like the conditions or tolerate the conditions and sort of go on to produce you know good good quality plants that we can then put outside and yeah in a few years later start cropping so uh, the whole journey for a seed to sort of planting out takes about two years and then once it's actually in the ground it's it's another sort of three to four years before we start picking it so uh it's quite a slow process <laughs> is that like is that like cell germination are you germinating and like plant pot cells and then you transplant outside is that how that works or is that a stupid question we actually germinate in um so big so very deep uh trays um we now cropping well we actually uh, harvest our own seed every year for the last four years we've been harvesting our own seed so we no longer import any seed so it's about this time of year we're actually picking the seed and it's, we sow it straight away in in these huge uh, beds that we've got we apply a little bit of heat 
sort of end of December, early January, just so we got a longer growing season in that that first seedling year. And um, yeah, from then, sort of any good plants, we basically then prick out and pot up. Um, and then they spend two years in the nursery area. So it's not a quick process. <laughs> it's not. No. <laughs> was was yeah. that quite scary at first? Because you know, you're you're wanting that first payout. Obviously, when you start a business, you've obviously got the established business behind you. I get that, but um, was that quite scary at first? It was. I think. Uh, well, the very first year, uh, I had seeds from sort of autumn two thousand and fourteen, and so they they germinated spring fifteen, and uh, we actually planted them out a year later. Um, that was sixteen, and uh, and they all died. Um, and I had about it was about three hundred odd seeds at that point, and um, and yeah, rather than sort of going away thinking, yeah, this just isn't going to work, I I then went out and bought twenty thousand seeds the next year, and was just like, right, that's it, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to be beaten by this, and um, and I I think that's what it was. It was almost like a sort of determination because, you know, I sort of can grow strawberries raspberries i've got a lot of experience in that but um yeah the tea plant was just it was a complete mystery of how to keep it healthy they just when they did survive they just went yellow uh they weren't happy they were very sick and yeah so it, it took a lot of work um and research to really establish how to how to grow them properly so uh, you, you've now transitioned to a model where it's essentially just tea yeah yeah the, I guess what I'm saying is with the struggle that's not even 10 years ago, how was that jump? But I, I sense I sense listen, you're someone that you're like, let's try it. <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> yeah. It, it was very much that. It was I didn't do a huge amount of research to, to start with. I was just one day not growing tea and the next day I was growing tea. It was as simple as that. Um and then yeah, it was pretty much like I said, it just became a determination to to grow it properly um and the numbers just kept escalating um yeah we we had like i said many tens of thousands of, of plants in the nursery and um yeah it, i think i just saw it as a potential micro industry in the uk there were a couple of people already growing growing tea uh, there's now quite a few people start starting to grow tea and uh and i really just felt it had potential and i guess it was in some ways, it was a way to make the business my own and to really just try something different and, yeah, sort of branch out, I guess. <laughs> just just this is jumping back to something you said right at the start. You, did you say you plant tens of thousands of seeds but won't get tens of thousands of plants? Is that right? Um, I've killed tens of thousands of plants, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yeah, I've, I'm successful at, at killing tea plants. Um, yeah, horticide is that a thing? <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I, I could be like certainly put up on those charges. Um, yeah, it's 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 been brutal. It really has. Um, and I th I think this is part of it. You know, it's been an experience of buying seeds from certain areas of the world that, for whatever reason, just haven't tolerated our conditions that we've got here and um you know other plants they go well into the winter and then they just fail over the winter period um others you know two or three years in they'll just suddenly sort of keel over and so it is it is literally yeah we have have gone down the route of tens of thousands of seeds we've planted out 
thousands and thousands of plants and we're gradually establishing plants that are out that are good you know they're growing well they're tolerating the conditions and they're the ones we're now pulling seeds off so we've now got second and third generation sort of welsh born and bred tea plants so yeah it's that's pretty much how we're how we're building it up I think, and <laughs> don't think I asked that because I thought you weren't good at what you were doing. It was a genuine question that sort of led on to the next thing. Do you think that sort of, I guess, struggle for germination is is down to? I can't. I don't know how the transport of seed works. Is that is that a, a major process? Is it something that the conditions have to be quite strict in planes, boats, however they're making it here? And I guess the second part to that question is. Tea's normally grown in pretty warm places. <laughs> you know, your your India's, your Sri Lanka's, your Kenya, I think, is quite big in tea. Um but you said you like a challenge. <laughs> From what I understand, Cardiff isn't like Nairobi. Um I take it your your production system has to vary hugely compared to the systems operated there. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Well, no, um, you you're definitely right for the first part in that. No, I was really bad at growing tea to start with. That's not what I mean, honestly. No, no, I was. I definitely was. I'll hold my hands up to that. Um, and I I think that's what really sort of inspired me to to keep trying. To be fair, because I was so bad at it that it just I was like, right, that's it. Yeah, challenge accepted. I'm doing this, and uh, just took a deep dive straight into it. So I was, yeah, I was determined not to be beaten by it. Um, yeah, seed wise, um, the tea seed actually desiccates quite quickly once it's been picked and deep okay. dehuth de- as it is. So, um, yeah, for every sort of couple of weeks you've got out of the plant, you lose a percentage of, of germination rate um, and sort of viability. It really does need to be kept refrigerated um, or at least sort of very cool and um, pretty sort of damp conditions, I guess. So, um, so as far as transport goes, it's normally um, flown into the into the UK. But by the time you've got all the certificates and things in place, you've already lost, yeah, quite quite a lot of viability. So uh, it's not not ideal. Which is where you know now we've got our own seeds. We've you know got really good germination rates, and none of that comes into play anymore. Which is which is good. Um, yeah, as far as temperature goes, um, I don't know. Cardiff can be pretty hot nowadays with climate change it's like you, you need to visit at some point in the summer but um no it's joking apart it's not ideal for for tea production it is very very marginal um anywhere in in the uk is considered marginal for tea production but um it's actually plays into sort of our hands to some extent because when a tea plant is stressed it actually produces different chemicals in the leaves and it actually gives you sort of different flavor characteristics in the company so uh very similar to wine you've got different terroir influences on on the flavors um so yeah by being very stressed by surviving in wales it does actually give us a a good quality cup of tea so yeah it's that's that's the biggest bonus at the end of the day (laughs) sounds like tea operates similar to myself (laughs) (laughs) um I was actually in Cardiff uh, two months ago. Um, I went, to, well, we were mainly in Barry because I'm a big Gavin and Stacey fan. Okay. Uh, yeah, went to go and do the, the Gavin <laughs> and Stacey thing. But uh, yeah, uh, I haven't done it in somewhere, that's for sure. I did, I did, um, I, I filmed with someone about 
10 minutes before we filmed, started filming Lucy, uh, from Monmouth. So, okay, yeah, that was pretty close. Uh, yeah, so very Welsh themed few episodes in a row at the minute, actually. Now I say that, uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah, getting the Welsh representation up. Um, the <laughs> I feel like this podcast is going to be me asking the daftest questions, but I'm sure the listeners are thinking the same things in fairness. So, um Hopefully I'm, <laughs> hopefully I'm defending the silly questions in that regard. Um, tea obviously is not a green product. So what is the process from plant to tea, I guess, as we know it? Uh, that varies depending on whether we're making green, black, white, oolong tea. Um, so we're growing Camellia sinensis and from that you make tea basically that's like where all tea comes from it just depends on which part you're actually picking and how you're then processing it into the finished product so yeah it's um I think this is something that I was a even steeper learning curve because I when I was finally able to actually grow it I, I thought I'd made it in the tea world I was just like this is brilliant I'm, I'm now a, officially a tea grower and it hadn't really dawned on me um, how technical it was to actually process that into a drinkable cup of tea. Um, yeah, that that came as a big shock. Um, and yeah, it's it's a steep learning curve, and it's just, it's the sort of learning curve that I'll be making tea for the rest of my life and still feeling that I haven't quite got it right. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty involved. <laughs> so I assume it's a very drying process, but I do you know what? You don't even <laughs> drink tea. I can barely tell you what a tea bag looks like these days. Since I, I was going to say since I stopped making it for my mum and dad. If mum and dad are listening, they'd be like, he's never made me tea in my life, which is true. I just saw it because it was in the same cupboard. But um, yeah, what what is that process? And as you say, it differs, but give us a few examples, I guess, then. It's probably the easiest way. Okay, um, well, a black tea. Uh, we usually pick, um, for, for us, again, uh, how we process the tea is probably a little bit different to sort of generally how it's done in more traditional countries um pretty much just because of our climate uh, climate climatic conditions there we go got it out um so yeah for black tea we actually pick generally in the afternoon and then we we wither the leaf which is like a chemical and a physical change that takes place in the leaf um in other words we're trying to extract moisture from the leaf and that changes the chemical composition uh, which affects the flavour in your, in your cup of tea, basically. And um, so the withering takes place overnight. It's usually around 14 to 18 hours, something along those lines. Uh, we've got a sort of big trough that we can blow warm air. We can adjust the, the fan speed, the temperature. Uh, we've also got what we call withering tats, which are bamboo trays that we can we can stack the tea on as well or the leaves on. So yeah, we've got the withering overnight. When it reaches the moisture level that we want, we then roll the leaf. So for black tea, you're trying to actually rupture the cell walls within the leaf, which is what then goes on to allow oxidation of the leaf. So after rolling, which takes about an hour, hour and a half, we then oxidize the leaf, which then will take another sort of good two or so hours. Um, and then after oxidation, it goes on and, and gets dried and and that is then your your finished leaf so but there's there's lots of variations so we can change all the elements within that to sort of enhance certain flavor characteristics in the leaf 
And, uh, and we can also then sort of additionally change the final drying. We can add a roasting stage. So you've got slightly smokier notes or yeah, there's, there's no end of possibilities basically. So that, that sounds to the uneducated ear like quite an expensive system. No. Uh, not really. No. Right. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty, but it doesn't actually use a lot of electric. Um, and the equipment we've got, we actually sourced equipment from uh, mainly China and Japan. And it's actually fairly cheap to buy the equipment. It's the transport to the UK costs that were the <laughs> expensive part of that. So <laughs> I love bringing people on that talk about something that I know nothing about. I love it. <laughs> I get a wee bit embarrassed because I know nothing. But um, I think this is maybe up there with the cranberry farm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that or the, the yeah. yeah that is the the three that i've been like so <laughs> <laughs> well you know if you ever go back to the the gary and um stacy's sort of mecca of barry we're about four miles from there so yeah you'll have to head over and and see it for yourself then so. well if that's an offer i'd love to uh yeah <laughs> love to come over and actually if you're if you're there um the last episode that I said with you, I really want to go there because I love that type of music. And I was like, would you be happy taking students? So I'm going to extend that question to yourself. Would you be happy taking agriculture students to see the system? And, um, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, this is something that um, I think when I was running the farm with the fruit and the ice cream business, it was very much more of a sort of individualistic approach to business. And um, I guess so very traditional in right we're out to make this make this profit and go down that route and it was something that really dawned on me a couple of years into producing the tea that it was very much more of a collaborative product um, and really opened the doors for us to work with other producers um, other educational facilities and and also local community and mental health groups and just try and incorporate all of those elements into the farm and uh, really just open the doors for the of the farm so that people can experience you know a product such as this on the ground um, yes yeah, I think it tea automatically sort of where it just it's has innate sort of therapeutic I guess just a, a feel to it which a lot of people really appreciate when they they come and visit so it's something that we're, we're trying to integrate more now and in a sort of wider perspective I kind of wish it's it's not the right, I'm, gonna sound, I'm gonna sound like I'm four years old um it's not the flavor of tea I don't like I just can't drink hot things <laughs> <laughs> um and I kind of miss out on it when you go to folks' house and like cup of tea and everyone's like, obviously, well, what else am I going to do? I'm sitting down and having a chat. And I'm like, orange juice? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, it was probably, it's got to be one of the most consumed products in the world, you know? It's got to be. After water, it's the second most. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. And, um, and I, yeah, I'll probably join you on that. I don't think I've ever had a hot cup of tea because I normally make it and then forget I've made it. And I'm sort of running around in multiple circles and then find a stone cold cup of tea sitting there. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's one of the things like we don't um, because we're the tea we're producing. It's a specialty tea, so it's very rarely drunk with milk. Um, and so in some ways it's actually it's good hot sort of 
tepid, cold. Um, yeah. You know, it works well as an iced tea in the summer. And um, and it's it's one of the things, you know, we're making the kombucha. So that's that's kind of gets your tea fix, but on a sort of, yeah, cold beverage version, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I've got, <laughs> I've got a question on the kombucha side in a minute. Um, but just before we do, when you say about the sort of market you're you're attacking it's not a pg tips <laughs> type shall we say what what is the difference is it the is it the variety of plant this is the difference is it the process is it is it everything you know what why why is your tea a higher quality i guess is what i'm asking um i think we will never compete on labor as a sort of principal element um you know labor labor rates in some traditional countries are you know you're talking sort of two pounds fifty odd a day for a wage rate so if you i mean i wouldn't even get anyone to drive into the farm for two pounds fifty yeah. let alone then give me a 12-hour day of, of picking tea um yeah. it's very labor intensive so on a price point alone we could never compete on that on that basis you probably um, don't want to given the circumstances no this, this yeah. is it yeah and um and i think also you know in this area we're we're restricted on what we actually crop so um we're well down on you know what be considered a worldwide average on tea production on an acreage basis um you know the very best areas that we've got producing at the moment are pretty much hitting about a third of what would be considered a, a worldwide average um, so we're just down on on volume as well as facing sort of obviously higher electric and and labor costs so yeah we'll never compete on a price point um but it's it's very much it is a specialty tea whereas pg tips is made with what they call ctc techniques so it's a sort of crushed broken leaf um we we sell purely a, a whole whole leaf oh do you okay <laughs> so I take it so they're gonna be a stupid question alert. They don't come in bags, I take it. They come as tea leaves, is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. No no bags. <laughs> and then <laughs> I hate that these questions probably sound so daft, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Are <laughs> do you then just put the leaves <laughs> in with hot water or do you strain it? How does this I know so little about tea? People are listening and thinking, why do we listen to Wallace's podcast? He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it is effectively a loose leaf infusion. So, you know, instead of you can actually put the leaves, you can you can buy tea bags to actually just put loose leaf in. So you can buy unble unbleached bags, right. um, which is sort of single use, or you can just put them in a teapot. Uh, like a sort of traditional teapot that's sort of how tea always used to actually be drunk before they invented tea bags um yeah you could use a strainer um you can use uh like guy ones which is sort of um sort of more specialist vessels i guess so you brew the leaf in a little bowl which has a lid so you can just pour the liquid out and it it retains the leaf so yeah there's a lot of different ways you can you can brew it and um, the so a good thing with specialty loose leaf is that you can actually reinfuse it at least or two or three times. So, um, yeah, you can get multiple infusions out of it. So in some ways, it's although it appears expensive to start with when you you realize that and you do use the leaf, it's it's actually not that bad. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
kombucha, 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 kombucha. That's the word. Um, what led you into that? Because we've tried it uh, on a, I'm guessing, small scale, i.e. a big jar. Um, <laughs> I liked it, but I wasn't involved in the process that mum started, so I don't actually really know what happened. So can you tell us about that? And are you selling <laughs> that as well? <clears throat> uh, yeah, well, the kombucha came about um, when we make tea. It's like actually processed the, the dried leaf. Um, we get some broken leaf in production. Um, and given the, the price point that we're we're hitting with our loose leaf tea, we don't like to sell the broken leaf. So it was it was really trying to figure out ways that we could actually sell the broken leaf, um, which was still really good tea, but it was just like broke broken up. So we just felt we couldn't really charge the earth for it. Um, so I started brewing it at home, pretty much like you just said, big glass jar. Um and then rapidly outgrew the house with glass jars. Um, and yeah, just realized that it was actually a sort of had real potential for as really as a sort of almost to start with as a byproduct from the tea. Um, when you make tea, obviously our climatic conditions change all the time. So we'll pick tea one day and then the next day the climate will be a bit different the leaf will be a bit different because as i said we've got that much genetic diversity all the plants are slightly different so no leaf is ever the same from one day to the next so you know one day you might make an absolutely stunning batch of tea and the next day it's not quite so good and we are fairly unique in that we sell all our tea by the individual batch we don't actually blend any of our batches together so what it meant with the kombucha is that it's it's kind of taking the pressure off me when I make tea. So rather than sort of tearing my hair out, being super stressed that every batch has to be amazing, um, I can actually have a bit more fun with it and then, you know, just, yeah, enjoy the process of making tea. And if a batch just isn't quite so good, we can put it into the kombucha. So it's, it's kind of taking that pressure off, which in some ways has actually made our tea a lot better because, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of free to experiment with it a little bit more. Um, that said, we're sort of a couple of years in and we're now in a place that we've, we're cropping enough tea. We can actually make tea specifically for the kombucha. So we're not necessarily just using broken leaf. We're actually just picking and processing and getting the flavor profiles that we want for the tea for the kombucha. Um, and so, yeah, the kombucha, we sort of launched it pretty much last year in bottles um and then earlier this year we we introduced a can a sort of grab and go can and um so yeah it's all brewed on the farm cans and bottled on the farm and uh, and we we pretty much we've got a limited range of varieties we do a black tea a green tea and uh we also use some of the fruit from the farm to make some of the flavors as well so we're growing quite unusual things we're growing uzu fruit uh, which is like a Japanese citrus um, and we're doing um, like raspberry and fig leaf so we're growing fig trees to for that element so yeah we're just trying to mix it up a little bit and do do something that stands out I guess. Are you making uzu kombucha? Pardon? Is it uzu? Uzu, uzu. yeah uzu, uzu kombucha yeah yeah, yeah. very nice that sounds lovely, and I, I kind of want to try that now. I've, I quite often get those cans. Oh, I never seem to get it in the shop, but when I go to a service station, I always get kombucha. The wee can, <laughs> the sort of wee bottles or cans, whichever they come in. Um, uzu. I'm just googling that as I speak. Uh, yeah, uzu. Is it spelled double O Z? No, no, O U Z O. Uh, what, 
yeah, why you said you. Why you said you. Oh. And so is it is it like a layman? Is that um yeah, kind of. It's um a Mandarin yeah. type cross. Um, but it's really aromatic. Like the the beauty of the yuzu is actually in the in the rind. There's not a okay. lot of juice in it. Um, but yeah, the rind is super, super aromatic. It's um it's I actually had a, a black tea that had some yuzu uh rind in it a couple of years back and I was just like oh it it blew me away it was the first time I'd actually had a uzu fruit full stop and um so I was like right you know what I want to have an uzu tree so that I can make this this black uzu tea um so in typical me fashion about two weeks later I had 50 odd uzu trees and uh two years later I've, I've got quite a few hundred uzu trees all in different ages um so yeah it, things tend to snowball around here so. Yeah, I, I get the vibe. You just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just looking at the photo there. You said there's not much juice in it. It, it looks like a notably dry fruit with with uh, big seeds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's there's a little bit of juice. Um, really, yeah, it's super sharp, but really nice juice. You just don't get much in it. You know, it's not the sort of thing you'd eat eat in segments. To be fair, it's like is it, is it yeah. sour or is it is it like lemon or is it like mandarin or is it like yeah? Both? It's it's kind of like a cross, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, just it's just got a really. It's I think it's it's one of those things that once you've had it, you don't forget it. It's it's yeah, it kind of grabs you or it grabbed me anyway. <laughs> so, well, moving away from me being unable to understand tea uh, and trying to get, trying to come up with good questions to guide you the, uh, and, and the, the stuff that viewers will like to hear, Lizzie. I'm going to give myself one more challenge and it's, I think I can remember your Nuffield title. Maybe, I think. We'll see. <laughs> um, let's give it a shot. So, I don't have a screen on my ceiling, by the way, in case you're looking at me thinking I've got, it, got yeah. it written on the ceiling. Um, tea, oh wait, tea cultivation and agroecology, a uh, development option for adding value on farms. That's not it, it's something like that. Is it something like that? <laughs> no, that's pretty good going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's um yeah, first first part's pretty much there. It's sort of tea within agro agroecology. Um and yeah, the sort of opportunity that provides is a sort of high value niche opportunity for diversification. So So tell us about Nuffield before we get into your actual topic, um tell us why you went for it and uh, the process involved in going for it. Uh, well, I think it's, I, as we were talking before, um, before we started this, it's very much something that I'd also looked at for quite a few years before diving into actually applying. Um, I've pretty much considered it since I started growing tea. Uh, I've had a couple of people that had suggested it to me and encouraged me to to apply. And I just felt I hadn't really established myself enough within the tea industry to really make that that leap um so yeah this year everything just fell into place and I just thought you know what I think this is the time's right and um so yeah as you know quite an involved process application form um had a 
pre-interview interview um and then the interview itself um yeah I think I'm still recovering from that one <laughs> it was an experience <laughs> it was it was uh, yeah it was an experience and I've, I've made a point of doing this and all the Nuffield things we've done is uh shouting out Charlotte <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> how, how she does so much I will never know yeah. um she's, she's a, amazing it, Taking multitasking to a whole new level, I think, is what that yeah. is. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> uh, so, Charlotte, if you are listening, I think it's like the fourth time I've said it now. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I genuinely have no idea how you manage so much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, tell us about the scholarship itself, uh, Lucy. What's your plan? Um, how, how, how? Yeah, well, I guess what countries are you going to? Very important. And uh, what what sort of things exactly are you looking for? Um, I think I'm pretty much on a mission to really try and promote the uptake of tea production within the UK. Uh, I really think it does have potential for small farms, small land ownership arrangements. So whether it's like on a community basis or, uh, you know, just as a, a land holding. Um, I th I think it's limited in its potential to be a sole business opportunity, but I think as an additional option and additional diversification there's, there's a lot of potential there um so it's really trying to travel to research that aspect of it um i also think there's a, there's a lot of opportunities there for tea to involve community groups and as i alluded to before you know mental health aspects as well so very much on a sort of agroecology basis it's both looking at the sort of ecology viewpoint as well as a social viewpoint and the contribution of that and um, yeah so traveling wise um hoping to go to south korea um they do a lot of work with small organic farms with their approaches to tea production um potentially i'm hoping to go to an area of china uh fujian province which Again, the government there has um, implemented a lot more in the way of ecological approach to, to tea farming. So trying to avoid artificial inputs, which has, you know, tea has relied on for sort of pretty much since its inception. Um, and I think also within Europe, there's a lot of tea producers now. Um, I'm actually part of a European tea growers group. So, and there's quite a lot of members now each year, there's quite a few additional members. Um, so it's very much looking to see what is already happening in Europe, what's potential to happen within Europe, and also looking outside of the tea industry. So to, you know, viticulture um, and other horticultural crops, and really to see what elements of that we can bring into tea. Um, like I said, growing it here, here is very different to traditional tea areas. So it's also looking at different technologies um, and yeah, planting practices that we can implement from yeah, other industries, I guess. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer. And I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. It's it's quite exciting the um the fact that we are being supported to go to other countries to look up the thing we really enjoy. 
Like, yeah, I'm still getting my head around that. <laughs> it's it's mad. Like it's like how <laughs> how this happened? How have we managed to blag our way into this? Um, I can tell why you have because you know very much everything about your topic, but maybe not everything. But no. you know, um, <laughs> so South Korea. That's that's probably the one that jumps out to me. Um, what a country, in general, you know, yeah. and and I think it's. I think if we look at South Korea and we compare it to the world from a technical technological perspective and from a a, a a food production basis in so many different sectors, they excel in quality of life, everything. And then it's probably just sort of exaggerated in our head because of how bad above that border is. You yeah. know, it, it's it's almost insane that that's possible. Um. Yeah, it, it always blows my mind that. So South Korea is an interesting one. That'll be an interesting one. And I'll be honest, one I didn't know had really much of a a tea background, to be honest. Yeah, um, it's quite quite strong in tea production. I think a lot of the world is actually looking towards South Korea, not just obviously within tea, but within um, sort of agriculture, horticulture, um, you know, their ecological perspectives. Um, a lot of them are very much rooted in more traditional practices that, you know, we abandoned years ago and we're slowly coming around to realising that some of these might actually be beneficial to reincorporate, you know, as far as soil health and aspects like that are concerned. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of countries now looking back towards areas like South Korea. So I think it, it could definitely be quite an interesting place to visit. A lot of things do come in circles, don't they? The, um, you know, oh, that's not working for 25 years and then they're like, Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, let's give that one a shot. So I've asked this to, I haven't asked this to everyone we've had on because I only came to mind in my last episode. But what would you see happening that would make you feel that your scholarship had been a success? Is there anything that you really want to happen? Um, like you're like, oh, this has to happen. Or are you just very open-minded about seeing what comes? I think, um, yeah, I'm pretty open-minded. To to be fair, I wasn't expecting any of this to really happen. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking it from the view of just like, I don't, I don't know what's around the corner. And I'm not even going to try and predict it because I just want it to happen as it happens. But that said, I think for me, it's, it's really trying to, I guess, encourage collaboration more than anything. Um, I feel it's it's too easy for people to immediately jump on a sort of competitive in like insular approach. And I think it really, you know, for this, it's a new industry. It's got new market opportunities. It's pretty much unknown to UK consumers, which is a, a big challenge. It's we're, we're trying to create a new market. And for me, I just think that the only way that that's going to happen successfully is for people to collaborate and, and work together so if i can even be a small part of that then i'd feel this had been worth it and i'd yeah proven i guess of a value to undertaking a, a nuffield scholarship so yeah definitely and do you think um are you staying in brazil post brazil <laughs> <You know, laughs> uh, are you staying on or are you flying back no, I think I'm flying back. Um, I was tempted, but as you know, we're away for pretty much a couple of weeks as it is. And it's, yeah, it's a difficult time of year because everything is just about starting. It's just before we start really ramping things up for the season, things start growing. 
and uh and easter's pretty early this year so it's it's an awkward time to be away so um yeah i think i'm just going to do brazil come back uh, i might try and squeeze a bit of traveling in then before the main season kicks off but yeah the the plan is to head home reluctantly i was quite tempted some of the the sort of additional tours and things sound sound pretty good so i think i was the same i, I i've reluctantly said i'm flying back i think <sighs> I just, <laughs> I feel like I'm really pushing the 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 barrel for how many holidays I'm taking <laughs> at this point because I am still employed. I've got to remember that, um, and uh, yeah, I might be able to. I don't. Uh, I've really pushed already. I mean, I've, I've yeah, it's been about seven countries in the last two months. So um, yeah, I think I think my week in London, my week in Brazil, might. I say have to do as if it's nothing. Um, yeah, I think that'll yeah. be for that week. But uh, a country that has fascinated me for so long, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, yeah, and and I think what's interesting is when you think of Brazil, you think of Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, Belo Horizonte, all that stuff. We're like in, <laughs> which I'm really looking forward to. Um, yeah. I, I probably had to look at the map when they told us where we were going. I was just like, <laughs> okay, that's, that's, yeah, this this is in like yeah on another level. And yeah, then, yeah, I won't, I won't lie. I have looked at different options, and I've even now I'm still looking at sort of you know how long does it take to to fly to here? And yeah, but no, I think yeah, like you, there's a there's a limit to how far I can stretch the goodwill of yeah being covered for at home. So <laughs> yeah, I'm pushing it already. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, looking forward to Brazil hugely, very much so. That's that's a yeah one that I'm I'm quite excited that I'm going to be able to say I've been able to have done. Um, it's it's actually quite interesting from a, from a traveling perspective. I said to you off camera, you know, it, you asked me two and a half months ago how many places I'd been to. I could say two countries out with the UK, and then by the end of this Nuffield scholarship, I'll have ticked off every continent on the planet. <laughs> insane like, how has life happened like this yeah it's been like um yeah i certainly can't make any comments on folk going on planes anymore <laughs> uh, yeah because i am that person but um yeah I, I know i know who to like yeah be be attached to then at the airports when i'm wandering around wondering what's happening and where i'm going yeah you, you're sort of old hand at it by that point <laughs> well do you know what? it's it's quite funny because um I think most people find airports quite stressful places. I find them so calming. I could just sit and watch everyone. And yeah, it's just, I love the process of an airport. I don't know why. I think everything can go so wrong. And I'm just like, this is so fun. (laughs) Uh, I I come from an island. I think I like the busyness. I'm not used to it. Um, It's a change. So uh, yeah, yeah. no, listen, Lucy, it's a, it's a it's an off-field scholarship I very much look forward to to looking into. And I think, do you know what? I've said that to everyone that's been on so far, and I don't think I'm just saying it because they're on the podcast. I think having glanced at all of them, you know, and, and then when I film the podcast, get into a wee bit more depth with people, what the plan is, they're, they're off-field scholarships for a reason. <laughs> you know, it's these people have seen a few folk come through that interview hall and and they've seen that happen a few times and, and not just anyone gets given it and and you know I've spoken to you for the last hour you realize that it's it's a really good topic and it's a really interesting topic and I'm sure it will better will better the UK sector in general you know so um 
no, look forward to following it. And I probably should say to anyone listening, <clears throat> for our Nuffield scholarships, they they are accessible. Um, I, I see at the minute quite a lot of the year update videos coming out from last year's scholars talking about what they've done, what they're doing, um, and what's next. Uh, so you can go onto the website and see that. Ours aren't obviously going to be there yet because we don't have them, but <laughs> we've got our, our profiles are live now, I think, from memory. So you can sort of see what our plans are and what's happening. But um, before we finish every podcast, let's see, there's two questions I ask everyone, and I absolutely hate one of the questions. But we're at episode 155 or whatever it is now, and they've been every, every single one since episode one. So the first question is, where do you see yourself in five years? And the second is, if you had any tips for folk getting into farming or food production, let's say, uh, what would they be? Oh, um, five <laughs> years. Well, yeah, five five years ago, I didn't see myself here. So uh, who knows? I think um, having had a much bigger business and then scaled it back, and now we're in, in that position that in theory it could grow bigger again. Um, I feel in five years, it's really I'm just looking to consolidate what I'm already doing. Um, I've got no ambitions to sort of take over the UK in terms of tea growing. Um, for me, it's I think I've learned the lesson that uh, there's, there's a lot to be said for keeping things small, niche and yeah, I guess high value within that and unlimited. So um yeah, I think it's I guess to continue enjoying it. Um I know earlier this summer I've sort of go down the farm early morning, I look up the tea row to start picking tea and I start picking tea and I'm just standing there thinking, some point I'm gonna have to go and get a real job because this is like <laughs> this can't be work and I I guess I always feel like I'm cheating the system a bit because I enjoy what I do so much that it's to me it's just it's life it's not really a job or work um so yeah I feel a bit of a fraud so hopefully in five years I might have abandoned that side of the yeah the equation a little bit um for people coming into the industry yeah first and foremost just enjoy it and make sure it's something that you know really grabs you and if it is something you know as comparatively bonkers as growing tea or whether it's something even more extreme you know you just have to grab hold of it and run with it and just see where it goes and um and I think the the key to all of it is to work collaboratively with other people to try and and get yourself there so yeah uh, I think that's an element that's been missing a lot within agriculture over the years is that collaboration and, you know, working with, with other people. So hopefully times are changing a little bit on that front. I think your big point is, you know, you spoke about being a fraud and stuff like that. There's there's no better there's no better thing in this world than just being happy doing what you're doing. <laughs> you know, like um, I'm in a job and have a social media business that offers me a pretty easy life financially but at the same time I just love every day and that, that's got to be more important than any money like it's got to be you know um so no I like that I always like when folks say their five years is kind of similar to what they're doing now I always like that so <laughs> like no, that's no. it I'm like please don't take it away yeah or maybe <laughs> get another job yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore I want to do this uh that's yeah, it. No, definitely. No, you're Lizzie. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you coming on. Um, no the, worries. Good to meet you. Me uh, too. And look forward to the real meeting, not the the, the, the Zoom meeting uh, next week. <clears throat> um, 
along with everyone else, very much looking forward to that. Uh, and do you know what? Why I'm also looking forward to that. When I fly back, that will be my last flight, as far as I'm aware, for four months. <laughs> Should I end up putting like four more in there somewhere? But anyway, I'm quite excited about that prospect. So very much looking forward to that. And thank you. Thank you for coming on and having a chat. And for those listening, I think that is our first tea producer on the podcast. I believe it's certainly our first raver um, earlier on. And now, now our first uh, first tea producer. So uh, a really interesting story. And I apologise for my daft questions at times because i don't know too much about the process but it's another another production uh, system learned so quite exciting for myself as well um for those of you still listening that's been lucy george and the the next episode we'll have is with harry winslet harry is coming on to talk about his nuffield scholarship so another one to look forward to there if you don't like nuffield scholarships I don't think you're going to listen to many of the episodes in the coming months. Um, it's very much been the theme for uh, I want to film with everyone. The all-in series that will be popped in here and there will be not that, um, but I would say about 70-80% of the next few food and farming ones will be in our field. Uh, all-in-wise, we have Chris Jenks coming on. Chris was the year above me in school, but also in the critically acclaimed Sex Education uh, on Netflix. He was also in... Uh, it's terrible. Begins with V. It went very big. Nope, can't remember. Don't watch TV. But Chris is very famous on the television now. And uh, on top of that, we have uh, Kate Rawls. Kate's story is quite something. Kate has cycled the height of South America. So she cycled all the way from the top to the bottom in a bike she made out of bamboo. And on the way, she stopped off in various communities to try and better their environmental impact as a community. Really cool story. One we haven't filmed yet, but I cannot wait to film. Uh, the other one is for those football fans out there. We mentioned football earlier. Football that is actually a ball that is hit by the foot and not an egg held by the hand. Um, so uh, we have got a Champions League winner coming on. So a European Cup winner. Anyone that likes football will know that's pretty much as good as it gets at a club level so that's quite exciting um kind of mad that i'm in this world where i speak to someone who's producing tea one day and the next day i speak to a professional footballer and then i speak to someone who's got a farm that they have raves on so it's all very interesting i love absolutely love it all when i was in america picked up a couple of podcasts that we're doing um one is a lady who wrote a book now that in itself doesn't sound like too much, but when I tell you what the book is, you'll realise just how interesting it is. There is a man in the Sierra... What's it called? The Sierra... Oh, that's terrible. California. Sierra something. Gorgeous big area that's, like, quite deserted. Now, but there's also waterfalls at different parts. It seems to have every part of a, a uh, an environment it can have. And there's a man that lives out there just off the land, has done for 40 years and sometimes people see him and this lady got to know him <laughs> it sounds like complete nonsense actually, it sounds like it's just made up but it's completely true and she's wrote a book on this guy's life and um, she's done a lot of stuff like that and she's lived a very good life herself so that's going to be another good episode and uh, yeah there's a lot more coming on the All In side we've actually brought in a new sponsor in the All In series which you will see in the next episode <clears throat> Um not going to give it away yet though so quite an exciting an exciting thing i'll give you one i'll give you two things about them they are a startup who have been mentioned in forbes magazine and they have over one hundred thirty thousand followers on instagram so it was quite an exciting company we're bringing on board 
And yeah, so that's what's happening in the All In series. But today has been Lucy George. Thank you, Lucy, again. It's been a pleasure having you on. All good. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And we shall see you for the next episode, number 155, with Harry Winslet. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast as much as I have. And I would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector. And it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far, and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural. And I'll see you for the next episode.